0: Welcome to Keeping It Secure, the HashiCast show about security trends, cloud adoption challenges, and security innovation. Join your hosts, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil, as we tackle the complexities of cloud security and industry-wide challenges. Right, so Keeping It Secure, the first episode of 2022. Uh, Amazing to be back. I am your co-host, Devots Rob, joined with my awesome co-host, Devots Adil. Say hey to the people, Adil. Thanks, Bruce. Hello, everyone. And that's,
1: as Rob said, the first podcast for for this year. So happy new year or happy late new year. Um, Happy to be here. And I am so excited. Today we have royalty in the house. We are joined by two Infamous people who have written the book of running HashiCorp Vault in production. And that book is uh, has done its rounds across the world. I, myself, have bought a Kindle edition when it was uh, in a um, uh, uh, pre-release phase. Uh, and I read that book. Awesome book. Uh, and, and I still get people seeing on LinkedIn talking about it. But, you know, I'm going to stop here and I'll let Dan and Brian introduce themselves, They'll tell us where they're from, how they come about. I, I suppose we'll start from Dan, Dan, introduce yourself.
2: Hey, uh, guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, My name is Dan McTeer. Awesome to be here. Awesome to be on the podcast. Um, I, uh, like Adil has said, I I wrote a book with Brian um, about running Vault in production. Uh, My background is all in um, system administration and network engineering and things like that. Um, So that book comes from you know, that background and that knowledge. Uh, but more recently I ran Vault in production at Adobe Systems. And so um I, I'm definitely kind of borrowing from that knowledge as well. Uh and I'll let Brian introduce himself. Cool.
3: Thanks, Dan. Yeah, hey everyone. Uh Brian Krausen. Uh great to be on the uh, Hashi HashiCast again. Um you know a couple times with uh with Rob here but yeah, great to be on. Um, you know, with Robin and a deal here, and especially Dan. Um, yeah, like Dan, you know, we um, you know kind of authored co-authored this book a year and a half ago, something like that. Um, you know, my background right now, I'm a <clears throat> consultant. You know, so I I consult with uh, large organizations around implementing and designing HashiCorp solutions um, on top of you know, doing traditional kind of cloud um design and implementations as well specifically around aws so a lot of times those are combined right when i'm working with customers a lot of times we're you know doing both of those um things to uh, help kind of you know push digital transformation as much as i hate that word um, you know for customers so um but yeah my background i've been working with hashi products for in over five years now vault terraform console um, packer all those good things so um, yeah happy to be on the uh, the HashiCast again and you yeah, looking forward to this episode
1: love it love it the fact that you both have explained it, your experiences in in running uh vault uh experiences of Dan's experience of uh, running it uh, as a shared services in Adobe and, and Brian as a consultant um tell us about after you've wrote this book right and this book's uh, clearly very popular thereafter. Uh Brian and Dan both are now kind of in that consulting consulting capacity, speaking to these customers. Now that they've read the book, it, it should be as easy as just going ahead and running vault into production tomorrow, right? Following that as a blueprint. It, it should be that easy. Or am, am I missing something here? these companies are still struggling because of some kind of organizational process? What what is your experience around that?
3: Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, of course, once you read the book, like you should be golden, right? <laughs> but um no, no, seriously. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I work with a lot of different customers, um, you know, around, you know, implementing these solutions. Um, majority of it is Vault, um, but I'm also working with a lot of customers around console and, and Terraform as well. But um, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, it, it's a big, it's a big process, I would say. And, and not to say that, you know, Vault or any of these other solutions are complex, but, you know, any of these solutions um, are you know, fundamentally going to change the way that you operate, you know, your IT organization, right? I mean, when you move, you know, all your secrets into a single platform, or you even, you know, move from these long lived static credentials to something more dynamic. I mean, that's a fundamental shift in the way that you handle, you know, security in your organization. So, uh, so naturally, there's a lot of things you have to take into consideration, you know, when you're moving to, you know, such a platform like Vault, right? And it's, it's not only how do we get the thing stood up and and running, you know, in a highly available, you know, redundant fashion, right, with multiple clusters across multiple data centers or cloud regions or a combination of both, right? But it's a matter of how do we support it from a day two perspective, um, you know, not only just supporting Vault, like keep it, keep the thing up and running and 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 um, updated and you know release new versions and those kind of things, but it's also how do you integrate the solution into the organization, right? So when we're working with customers, a lot of times we take and we kind of pull it from the Terraform side, but we kind of pull. You know, we kind of uh, group folks into kind of the consumer um, versus the producer um, model, right? So we have the producers who we really think of like these are the folks that are running Vault on a day to day basis. They're responsible for keeping Vault up and running, um, and then the consumers end up being either other folks within IT or it could be the the folks that are operating it as well, right? A lot of times, you know, they're operating Vault and they're also consuming. The services provided by Vault, but the consumers we really think of as like the you know developers or the application teams or things like that that are going to you know use or integrate uh, Vault into you know their uh, their applications. And so that's a big aspect of it as well. Is you know we're working with customers that are you know we want to uh, operationalize it, but we also want to make sure that you know to be successful we have to integrate it uh, into you know the organization properly. So that's, that's a big thing that we're seeing with customers right now. Well,
2: just to, just to add to that, I think, um, you know, the real value of our book is, you know, when you consider the entirety of the cloud operating model and how it's kind of separated into three categories, right? We have the people and the process and the technology. Um, uh, There's a lot of focus on the process and the technology piece, as far as, you know, building automation framework around what we're doing and things like that. But I think, You know not a lot of attention is given to the people part uh and i think that's where a lot of a lot of value of our our book comes in right where we talk about how do you really drive adoption of of a tool like this inside the organization how do you evangelize that how do you get people excited about security because most people are not most people are mandated into security most people despise it It, it's really about you know getting people to understand the value um, in those sorts of things. And so the book really covers that whole spectrum of the cloud operating model, those those three parts.
1: It's funny you say that because Rob and I, we've talked about this time and time again, where um, security, as Rob would say, security is not meant to work against you. It's meant to work for you, right? And being that enabler. Um, my experience, as I've mentioned in in, in in the podcast as many times, coming from an enterprise background, working with a tier one investment bank, you know, I'm super open to this and I've seen the value of changing how you consume such services traditionally would have been a very centralized service uh, request-based type um, to now moving towards a more of a, a delegated uh, distributed self-service model. Uh, I completely understand that, but you know, I've spent uh, in those kind of uh, three, four years in that banking environment where the two and a half years have been spent with meeting, being met with resistance. Um, when, when talking about uh, requiring the change of processes, requiring the change of how it should be consumed, who it should be consumed by, and who it should be owned by. Um, I'll be interested to hear from both Dan and Brian in terms of yeah, you and I, I think we're all aligned, that yes, there is a need to change our process. There is a need to change, uh, reorientate our teams. But how much of that has been easily accepted by your, in your experience with different customers or have you been met with resistance?
2: Yeah, so I can touch on that a, a little bit. Um, you know, I think I think uh, everybody is generally a little resistant to um, any kind of change, or, or we can call it apprehensive, um, perhaps. But uh, I I think you know a, a key piece, especially when with with regards to security tools, is understanding that a lot of the times that this is this is mandated, it's required, and. You see a you know a big hammer wielded and and coming across the organization and telling people they must do this or that in this particular time frame. Um, I I think with with HashiCorp tools in specific it it, it kind of changes that dynamic a little bit. We talk a lot about how you know we build stuff. Our stuff is built by the user for the user, right? And and I think a lot of our tools are just naturally adopted you know, particularly open source versions are naturally adopted across these different organizations because people find it so easy to um, to kind of implement those things, right? And so I think, you know, to, to make a service like this truly successful at an organization, you kind of write, on, write in on the back of that, so to speak, right? Um, rather than telling people they must do a certain thing, you kind of have to go in and um, convince them to do so instead. I mean, things become more valuable when you're encouraging people to use something or showing them the value, for instance, versus telling them what they must do. And so a lot of our effort at, at Adobe specifically was spent um, you know, going out and engaging our users. We, we would take the content from the HashiCorp 101 trainings that, that um, were done at HashiConf. We would do that internally, right? We would go to our different offices We would sprinkle in adobe specific things to that training we would spin up a lab and everything and and do a hands-on eight-hour training with our users Um, and saw some huge benefits from that a lot of times we'd see our users kind of go out and evangelize or or support other users almost immediately after um, leaving those trainings but another really great effort that i think is worth mentioning is uh, once a once a month or once a quarter it kind of depended. Uh, we would have what we would we we would refer to as a tech talk, where basically we would take a developer or a system admin, somebody who was already using Vault inside of Adobe and had already integrated it into various workflows, and we would have them present for anywhere up to an uh, up to an hour, usually on you know, how they integrated, why they integrated, what problems it was solving, and sometimes even do like a technical demo, and they would do this in front of their peers. And that, that one effort single-handedly drove a lot of the adoption at Adobe because it was people listening to their peers on, on the value of Vault and not security coming in and telling them what they should or shouldn't do. Um, We would have anywhere between 100, 150 people show up to these sessions and and listen in on, uh, you know, on how that stuff was being done across the organization. And it was a huge driver, um, particularly when it came to, um, you know, how it could reduce your your workload or solve a lot of your security problems automatically. So I have
0: a question on that, Dan. Uh so in a lot of organizations. So I come from a similar background to to Brand. Um I, I used to be a consultant uh before I joined HashiCorp. Um I run into a lot of challenges where you know they, they they bring you in because they think they need a technology solution and they want you to implement it. But a thing that's often overlooked is the whole uh people piece and the, the process piece, right? Um so in terms of uh, the success that you managed to achieve at uh, Adobe, from an organizational structure point of view, how were you able to bring in the relationship between the people, the process and the technology? How were you able to analyze exactly what it was that the organization needed? Did you have like specific roles that would like, capture requirements or, or was that all down to one team? Like, how did you set up your organization for success from the foundational level?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, th- there's a couple pieces of that. I'll I'll preface this by saying, and and you know, ops people sometimes get mad at me for this. You don't need a huge team to manage Vault. What you really need is to build a community around it. And so, my team in particular, um, I I had uh, part of my people in in Romania and part of them in the U.S., um, which which afforded us some really great opportunities for, you know, round the clock support, but. Really, I built my team again. Kind of going back to built by the users for the users. I built my team around the users. Right. Um, a lot of people think you know vault's a security tool. It probably needs to be owned by security people. Well, the the fact of the matter is most security people don't have a background in system administration. They don't have a background in software development, which is totally fine. But that's that's generally the sorts of questions you're answering, or the sorts of problems you're solving. Um, and, and so my team was built around, you know, senior senior level developer, senior level SRE, and then and then some kind of moderate level combination of both to to kind of fill out the rest of the team. Um, these were people who could not only handle the administrative duties of vault, but could also talk to our users specifically on how they would integrate those things with with our systems, right? And as we went out and trained, and as we went out and, and did tech talks and spoke to people that community just started naturally building around that to the point where, um, you know, a lot of our users were supporting each other rather than us having to support them, which made that very, very, very scalable.
0: You make some really, really interesting points there. Um, So the last uh, client that, that I worked for before joining HashiCorp um, actually had me working directly with their identity and access management team and Part of the challenge was we, we were trying to automate some of the processes to uh, reduce the points of friction to those that are consuming uh, Vault in this case, right? It could literally, everything I'm talking about could be any system out there. We, we're talking about people, process, technology, and how to drive adoption, right? So yes, we're talking about Vault in this instance, but you can literally take these things and apply it to anything that you're trying to um, roll out into an organization. So they had me um, working with this identity and access management team. And the biggest challenge for me is they weren't engineers for the most part, right? So they didn't have an engineering mindset. They didn't know uh, how developers worked. They didn't work uh, in the same kind of workflows as developers. Uh, And that was a challenge. Yet this is the team that owned Vault, right? So it goes through that that same perception that you mentioned where... um, or well, it's a security tool, so maybe a security ish type of team, if not the security team generally should own this, right? Um, and that comes with its own challenges. I guess from a leadership point of view, and I kind of want to open this up to Brian because I think you're going to have some really good insights into this from your consultancy experience. From a leadership perspective, when you're setting up your organizations, what are the key pieces of advice you think you could give to leadership and decision makers? when they are structuring their teams and deciding ownership of processes, ownership of technology, and how they're going to marry that relationship between the process and, uh, sorry, the people and the technology with that process. What well, what kind of advice would you give? I'll give this to Brian first, but I'd love to hear from Dan too.
3: <clears throat> sure. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, when, you know, when I'm working with organizations, I mean, you know, honestly, from a consulting standpoint, you know, we're usually working with, you know, the architects and engineers and not necessarily um, leadership when it comes to implementing Vault, although, you know, leadership obviously has a big say in regards to, you know, deploying such a solution. Um, But, you know, I I would say, you know, just from, you know, the architectural and engineering side, like, you know, the operational side, um, A, you've got to, you know, integrate, you know, those teams with the security team. Um, I can't tell you how many times that I've seen, you know, Vault. Uh, I would say almost 95% of the time when we're deploying vault, it's not with the security team. It's with, you know, an ops team or the automation team or the cloud team or something like that. So I would say, you know, for sure, like get security involved early and often um, because, you know, there have been many projects that I've been on and where we're very deep in, in the deployment and the integration of Vault. And then security gets kind of thrown in the loop, right? And they're like, hey, what the heck? This is a security product, right? We need to, you know, we should be involved with this. Um, so I would say, you know, at, at a minimum, you know, get security involved from the front, um, you know, even put them through training, right? Whether that's not necessarily like operational training, but just understanding what vol can and cannot do and what, um, what roles is going to play, you know, within the organization. Um, because a lot of times, once the security team actually understands like what we're doing with Vault, like they're a big fan, right? So they understand like, hey, we're really going to increase the security posture of our organization by implementing Vault and taking advantage of a lot of the services that can, it can provide. Um, so that's I think the biggest thing there is just you know making sure security is involved you know from the beginning and not kind of throw them in you know towards the end and then them having to play catch up and then you know obviously security teams always have you know, their own um, policies or requirements, you know, that come into play. And, you know, we want to make sure we capture those, you know, during the design phase or, you know, obviously before the implementation phase um, as well. So we're not, you know, kind of knee deep in, you know, integrating, you know, vaults with different secrets engines and all that kind of stuff. And then security comes and has their own, um, you know, requirements. So I would say that's the biggest thing um, right now.
1: It's interesting, Brad, that mentioned that because my my last role uh, before I joined HashiCorp, I, I worked for a, a tier one investment bank, and that's been the same experience for me, where Vault was owned by the central platform team, and um, and that would continue to do so, but we liaise with security in every aspect of uh, whether that's application um, uh, onboarding onto the uh, onto the platform, and. Now that I've joined HashiCorp and I'm consulting with different customers, right now, for example, I'm speaking to a, a huge bank and Vault is owned by the security team. Um, funnily, they, when I went on site, uh, the, the the leadership asked, uh, they're actually part of the wider identity team. And they were asking whether Vault should be owned by them and if secrets management is relevant. So i told him that secret let's uh, let's understand that secrets in itself is a form of attestation for an identity so yeah it's yes it's well within the remit of the identity team to look after say secrets management or secrets consumption rather have a however in ter- terms of the question about owning vault or the tool so i would say that i was advocating that the security slash identity team their focus should be owning patterns, not necessarily the tools. Yes, there are ways of enforcing those patterns in today's world. Namely, let's just say Terraform uh, modules and Sentinel policies uh, is a manifestation of how you can enforce consumption patterns, right? And uh, in my last role, that was the experience. We had that. And now I'm trying to advocate that with those teams around um, who are already owning Vault now and say, actually, Why don't you just let go of the infra operationalization of Vault to say the central team? However, you have a say in terms of how things are consumed, whether that's RDS and such like that. And interestingly, the reason why I mentioned this is that when I was in my last role as a platform team, our principal objective was to accelerate to the cloud. Our principal objective was the cloud adoption. Now we need the the, the security was a non functional requirement. These were constraints, and how is it that we can use the likes of Terraform, the likes of Vault, and whatever other, other tools to be able to enhance and um, really meet those constraints or within those constraints to be able to accelerate that? And uh, I'd be interested to understand, uh, you know, for both from Dan and Brian, it, given that you know both have, have worked uh, at, at enterprises. Um, where the principal objective has not necessarily been security rather security is a byproduct but the principal objective has been about the cloud adoption itself
2: well and these are these are really good points because um it, it, we actually cover this in our book but there's there's really kind of three parts to um to to vault utilization right there's the consumer part which is the end user and and how do i how do I manage my secrets there's the operational part, the system administration, and then there's the security control part. When it comes to security, uh, they they are absolutely an equal partner. Uh, they don't necessarily make the best people when it comes to system administration or instructing the users on how to consume the service, but they absolutely need to be uh, need need to be involved at a policy level to make sure that you know compliance and security requirements are are being met. Um, uh, by those teams consuming the the service, so
1: so Brian, uh, the, the, uh, I suppose the question I will ask for Brian is that in your experience, as a, is it fair to say, as a consultant, when you're when you're um, engaged with customers, um, primarily uh, the the principal objective is essentially cloud oriented, uh, and then you would then look at how do you secure those cloud consumptions. Uh, is is that fair to say? And because you talked about cent- the central platform team uh, essentially owning Vault and then liaising with security, it, that description that I gave earlier would you would it be fair to say that that's kind of the well a it should be the attitude and b that's uh, from a your consultant perspective would always be the case and therefore would we agree that this is really how we should be aligning or, or really reorienting our organisations?
3: Yeah, I agree. Um... You know most of the organizations that i'm working with today are, are definitely you know deploying you know, for um you know cloud implementations right i mean a lot of these organizations are you know com- completely overhauling the way that they they deploy and manage applications and they realize that you know their current process of storing and and consuming secrets is not very good right so so that's that's where you know vault typically comes in and and You know, I I work with a lot of customers that are, you know, going both cloud and, you know, I'm also working with, you know, a project right now where, you know, very large insurance, you know, organization is deploying, you know, 100% on-prem, right? I mean, they're deploying um, Vault on-prem to consume it both on-prem and then, you know, ultimately it's going to touch cloud as well. But yeah, it's just a a very wide variety of folks. And, you know, we, we all talk about cloud and everyone's moving to the cloud and that, it's not necessarily a hundred percent true, right? There's still a lot of very large organizations that are, you know, happy as could be running on prem um, today. I mean, they understand the benefits of it, of cloud and integrating vault with that. But, um, but yeah, it's it's I would say it's a mixture of of both right now for sure. So, so I guess
0: my question is, uh, when you're implementing uh, these these things into organizations, uh, I, I mean, I have my own answer, but it'd be interesting to hear from both of you. What do you think the key performance indicators are, KPIs? What do you think the key KPIs are as to measure the success of uh, the implementation? Uh, let's hear from Dan.
2: Yeah, so uh, it, 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 and and we kind of touch on this a little bit in the in the book as well. But you know, to me, vault adoption is is really a spectrum of of maturity. I, it, generally, what you see is everybody starts out with. Um, you know, using the KV store and and simple API integration. And then they kind of shift to, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build a script that will automatically rotate what's in the KV. And then, you know, that kind of goes all the way down to the other end of, I I'm mean, I'm fully using dynamic secrets in, in all of my interactions at this point. And so, you know, things like, Things like utilization growing are are obviously good. You want to make sure that you know your your organization as you onboard people like Use of Vault is growing um, and and that each team is is taking advantage of that. But as you make that shift, you want to start seeing, you know, people move away from the KV secrets engine and more into, you know, AWS or LDAP secrets engines or things like that, where they're fully using dynamic secrets. To me, that would be the biggest gauge of, of success at an organization.
1: I want to, uh, so I want to actually uh, probe uh, that further. Uh, reason why is that um, in my recent experiences uh, with customers, I've, I've, I've been asking this, uh, this question actually around measuring success, uh, especially around adoption. And Um, the, the, there are ways that people understand measuring success, it says, okay, the number of users that are on vault, right. But there's other pieces where, as, as Dan touched on, is that actually how many of those are moving towards a dynamic, but if there's this customer, for example, I'm speaking to where they're extremely mature in their automated onboarding process with vault, um, And they're extremely mature with how they are uh creating these dynamic secrets yet they are uh their usage when you look at the usage metrics right they it's so poor as in that they the adoption rate is so low and what I've been advising and what I've been the response that I get to me is because you've created this onboarding process for Vault in isolation, it needs to be latched onto the wider platform onboarding process, right? A, a, at which point, then those applications that are onboarding onto, say, I don't know, AWS or GCP inherently have also already onboarded onto Vault. And th- that would obviously accelerate, say, the adoption. I say adoption here but at this point, I'm saying accelerate the onboarding onto Vault. Now, as part of consumption, my experience has been that you do get, especially when it with vault, right? Where the interaction with vault, it will mean that the application needs to do some form of re- refactoring so that they can consume uh, a secret from vault. We found that, um, that was one of the biggest resistance we've had is, is after we've had spoken say security team and the necessary say centralized, uh, teams, the moment we start working with developer teams, the biggest resistance has, has been around change. Uh, i.e. change in their code, especially application refactoring. My last role, for example, especially where the budget for cloud transformation or whatever you want to call it, right, has been restricted to that centralized producer team. And so when we're asking developers to do that go ahead and refactor their code, whose budget does that come out of? So, you know, it, 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 it seems to be a point of contention. Um, so the other pieces, what we started doing was that we introduced, there was this one team when we were talking to them about their use case is that they wanted to access a, a SQL database. And so they wanted to move their static secret in a plain text file. So the application was uh, going to get uh, a static card from the plaintext file, and then obviously go ahead and authenticate with SQL database. Um, so they want to move that to Vault. So they were talking about how can we use the Vault library to do so? And I was like, hey, you know what? How about why do we just introduce a vault agent that will retrieve the secret and place it in that very same file so that you don't have to refactor your application as far as you're concerned? Your BAU is agnostic. Has have you found those kind of experiences when you're speaking to those application developers and the resistance around that? And are these kind of creative ways of say non interactive consumption patterns ever coming to your uh, kind of radar, I suppose?
2: I think there's a, a couple parts to answer here and Um, The first one is, and I think this kind of goes back to an earlier question that that Rob asked and, you know, about how we, how we uh, marry process and technology and people um, really, you know, good leadership will, will, will sort of encourage these forward thinking practices and do what they can to ensure their team has time, you know, and so you talk about things like where do we get the budget to make these changes or how do we fit this into our schedule ultimately that comes down to the leadership and and you know their influence in that whole process to ensure that people take that time to to migrate to these new processes as as these come along because i mean at the end of the day those processes are going to end up saving you time in the long run and and improving security things like security right because if we're doing things in a standard way every single time, um, no matter which cloud we're in or anything like that, that that's going to save us money by avoiding security incidents. Um, you know, we're plugging into secrets the same way no matter what. We're using the same piece of code no matter what. That sort of thing, right? Um, so so I think that's an important piece. But um, outside of that, I I I feel like. Um, yeah, I, I feel like education is really really the key here. I think there are a lot of assumptions made every time a new piece of technology comes into the organization and people say things like, oh, yeah, we we need to have everybody adopt this by this date. I think there are a lot of assumptions made. I, I, I've, I've heard a lot of people tell me it takes them a lot of time to make a certain change um, without even really knowing how that... How, how that integration will work or, or things like that. And so kind of back to, you know, our effort around education and, and all the uh, unforeseen advantages there, um, you know, really getting out there and talking to people about how simple it is or about how many lines of code it would take to integrate from this particular thing, really getting them to understand what an actual integration effort looks like, I think was the big the big. Factor in in helping people change their mind, their perspective about that that sort of thing. So,
0: yeah, and I think uh, one of one of the uh, things that you touched on it, it's it's worth kind of discussing in a bit more detail. Um, so we had Hashi Talks last week. Uh, we had a fantastic talk there from um, Ryla Hockenberry, who uh, works for Mastercard. And the the talk was centered around the whole uh, people process technology piece and something internally they call the PPT framework um, at Mastercard, and a part of of this framework was understanding this this acronym that Ryla presented called ADKAR. Uh, so that's spelled A D K A R. The A stands for awareness. Um, and essentially, it's do you understand the reasons for the change? Uh, the D stands for desire, so do you want the change to happen? Um, the K stands for knowledge, so do you have the skills to support the change? Uh, and then you have uh, ability: um, are you able? Are you capable of performing these new skills? And the R is uh, reinforcement: do you have the, the support to sustain the change? Right. So it's a it's a bit of a uh, revolving. Cycle, but one of the key points that Ryla makes in in his talk is that when you're going through this this framework, when you're going through this process, people will arrive at different phases of this this process at different times, right? And that's that's key for an organization to understand, right? The second point that Ryla makes is that people will spend different lengths of time at at each of the phases, right? So, where it could take a particular team on the awareness part of of the cycle, um, maybe a month to really build up the awareness. Maybe uh, another team needs more convincing, uh, so maybe it's going to take them two months or something like that. So, I think when you're when you're implementing these changes, I think it's worth bearing in mind that there are challenges which will differ from individual to individual and team to team. Um, so, when you start to put sort of a hard deadline to say yeah we want all teams to be adopting vault in this case uh, by this date Uh, this these are some of the challenges that you need to overcome and it can be quite difficult now I understand there can be some commercial reasons why you have to put in a hard deadline maybe you're using something and contracts are expiring and you're about to sign a new contract and so on and so forth I understand that I think when you're going down it's it's really important to understand that this is the people part of the problem, right? And th- these are the people that we need to support as much as we can, because without the people, you, we're just not gonna have any success. It doesn't matter what our, our metrics of success look like. If these people can't adopt these new skills, if they can't support the change, then ultimately it's, it's destined to fail.
1: Yeah, I've got an unpopular opinion here, right? Um, around this whole kind of ad car, or I mean, I say ad car, let's talk about this whole education and awareness piece, right? The unpopular opinion that I have is that, and I, I've seen this trend uh, and pattern uh, with a, a lot of organisations since I've, I've joined HashCorp, is that I do not, I don't deny that the education awareness it is uh, is required a hundred percent, right, and it's going to be key to the uh, the and critical to the organisational change. <clears throat> However, I find that there is some uh, an element of naivety, dare I say, that. If the education awareness is the the first focus and the dependency, the adoption will happen. As you know, as, as Rob touched upon, the adoption will happen. If we say, for example, this year, uh, so if we spend three months in uh, touring around, and then the, we're going to start seeing a surge of adoption. I continue from my experience, that's been a. It's always a continuous challenge. Uh, you will be met with resistance and also it would mean that actually this is a long-term effort and it's a continuous effort. In my opinion, you know, that should be made a dependency in accelerating adoption to vault. So the thing is accelerating adoption to vault. for example, from an organization perspective, when they set that deadline, as Rob said, right, th- there may be valid reasons. For example, if there's a data center move to the cloud. So as part of that, um, if you're going into the cloud, you must be using Vault. So obviously, if there's a deadline that we need to exit the data center into the cloud, that means that there's also a deadline to adopt in Vault. Well, we, that doesn't have to mean that you have to have the, the the education dependent on it. The education must happen in parallel. However, being a dependency, or uh, um, I feel, would be a blocker. And if we start seeing things linear in that, in that way, then we stop to start looking for innovative ways of being able to accelerate the adoption. As I alluded to earlier on, for example, the onboarding onto Vault. So if you're using Terraform, let's just say, in my last role, we use Terraform as the exclusive way to consume GCP. So we also use Terraform to create uh um the Vault onboarding so we married uh, married up the onboarding of gcp and onboarding onto Vault namespaces together so by going into gcp inherently they were also into vault the other thing that we, we we don't consider as part of the education i feel that The primary focus or the first focus seems to be towards developers, but there's the whole platform team. And in my opinion, the biggest use case or even the biggest consumers are the platform team. When I ask currently the bank that I'm talking to, I ask them, okay, how is when a GCP project is created, what credential is being used and how is that being managed? And when they say, oh, that's manual and it's not being managed by Vault. However, they are still mandating that developers use Vault. You have to start asking yourself,
0: should that not be the very first use case? I have stuff to add here. Um, you know, Brian, I'll come to you in just a moment. I, I know Brian's got his hand up, right? I think you kind of touched on it, Adil. I think everything that we're talking about, it boils down to uh, the thing that I advocate for the most, right? Which is you need to provide a good developer experience if you want developers to use a tool right that it's it's fundamental if developers have to jump through hoops if they have to do very complicated processes to achieve the business value that you require them to achieve then ultimately what you're doing is you're putting obstacles in their way Uh, and I think you quoted me earlier on the deal when I say security done well works for you not against you. So when we talk about all of these pieces, like the education piece and the ADCAR piece, these are all parts of the puzzle which go to provide a good developer experience, right? Uh, I think it's very important to understand that. Now, remember, that I don't believe there's an end goal here. I don't think you get to a point where you say we're done, right? The the, the world is forever evolving. The technology that underpins the way that we live our lives is forever evolving, right? Which means that the security threats are also evolving, right? So there cannot be an end. We don't get to a point to say we're finished, right? You get to a point where you say, okay, let's look at where we are, let's assess, and let's see what's still working, maybe what's not working as well as it used to, and how can we change, how can we adapt, how can we, in some cases, re-architect and re-engineer certain things if that's the scale of, uh, of change that you need to implement, right? So I think it, it's kind of understanding that. So where where there are commercial pressures uh, and uh, business decisions have been made for commercial reasons, right? I understand that. Um, I think that, that the people that are driving uh, the initiatives for change should also understand that this is a process. And, you know, there may be some minimum requirements to, to get to a certain phase of, of adoption, um, but you don't need to have gone through the entire cycle before that deadline, right? I think you just need to kind of get to a certain point. So uh, the case in point here is Dan talked about um, uh, the the journey of, you know, people using the KV secrets engine to store static secrets. And then they they move on to writing scripts to, to rotate these secrets. And then they go to the other end of the spectrum where they're using dynamic. I mean, you don't need to onboard people to go right to the full functionality of a tool, right? You just need to start getting some value from it, which is, Part of the thing that's going to convince those consumers that actually this is uh, this is something we want to use we can actually see the value in this rather than kind of forcing it on them because um, ultimately to provide that good developer experience you are going to need to listen to these people you are going to need to understand where they're coming from in order to figure out exactly where it is that you're going to meet them right and if you don't approach that in the right manner it's going to be very hard to ascertain the things that you need from them in order to provide them with that good developer experience. I'll throw it over to Brian because I know you had your hand up.
3: Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean a couple of things around um, you know, we've been talking about education a lot. And so that's kind of near and dear to my heart, right? Um, you know, A, I got a couple of points here real quick. Um, you know, A, I work for, you know, HashiCorp's global training partner, right? So education is a huge part of what we do, not just not just um, you know, delivering training for customers but how we truly like integrate that into um, implementation and, you know, design workshops and those kind of things, you know, with customers. Right. So, you know, from the forefront, you know, the first thing we do is, you know, when we talk to a customer who wants to implement vault in their organization is obviously before we implement it, we have to design the solution. Right. And so that's one of of the, the key um, roles that I play and, but in order to design a solution, you know, for a customer, like the customer has to be aware, they have to be knowledgeable, you know, about the product, and, you know, both, both from the business side and like what it's going to provide the business, but also from the technical side in terms of like what the product can offer you, right, from a solution standpoint. Um, and so, one thing that I, I make sure I do with customers is, you know, I don't want to go in the design workshop and essentially come in with my own opinions, you know, and and push a design on them that may not fit the organization you know, as well as, you know, it should. And so one thing I do before a design is, you know, we offer customers training before we ever get into a design workshop, right? Because then if they understand, I mean, they, you know, if they only have a couple days training, like they're not going to be an expert, but at least like when I'm running a design workshop for a customer and, and figuring out, okay, what is the implementation? What is the solution going to look like overall? Like at least they have some knowledge, you know, about the product and they can help make um, you know, knowledgeable decisions, you know, educated decisions around what they should do for their organization, because ultimately, like, you know, I come with the knowledge uh, the vault um, knowledge, and they come with the knowledge of the organization, right? So we kind of, you know, essentially need to marry those two together. And instead of me coming in and saying, hey, this is what you should do, like, I really want to get the opinion of the customer to say, hey, look, you know, your organization, you know, your applications way better than I do, right? Um, you know, let me show you how some of these things work. And so then you can make an educated decision on how we should implement Vault and how you can, you know, best take advantage, you know, of of Vault capabilities. Um, So that's the kind of the first thing I want to mention. The the other thing is also around, you know, the day two, um, you know, say day two operations. um, So we, on top of that, and this is not a sales pitch for the place I work for by any means. It's just I think we found it works really well with, you know, with customers is that, you know, we have um, also like a subscription service where we offer, um, you know, office hours, you know, with customers, right? So they say, hey, you know, we have a a monthly office hours or every other week or whatever it may be. And the customer can kind of give us an agenda. Hey, these are the things that we want to talk about at the next office hours, right? And office hours is essentially just the customer getting uh, access to Vault Expertise and then we can discuss any topics that they want. So, you know, we're finding that customers, yeah, they may feel comfortable with vaults, but they still don't want to go at it alone, right? They still want somebody that they kind of have on the side that they can go, you know, ask questions or, you know, hey, um, you know, we we think we're doing the right thing. Can you validate that for us? Um, so we, we, you know, we offer that too, and we're finding that makes customers a lot more comfortable in terms of adopting the solution and and, you know, implementing that into their applications. Um, The last quick point I'll make is, you know, on top of, and I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, on top of just educating the team that's going to run Vault on a day-to-day basis, you know, we also put emphasis on uh, educating, you know, the consumers, right? So, yeah, they don't care about how, you know, how to run Vault and, you know, how the clustering works and how replication works and what type of replication and all that kind of stuff. They care about how to gain access to the services that are provided by Vault, and when I say services provided by Vault, you know that doesn't necessarily mean like just you know gaining access to passwords and credentials and things like that, because you know Vault, Vault can do a lot more. You know, in terms of like you know PKI and transit and transform and you know all those other secrets engines. But um, so we make sure that we place heavy emphasis on educating the consumers of Vault because we also find that helps you know drive adoption you know throughout the organization as well. So um, you know beyond just providing the expertise on implementing and designing vaults like we also put a heavy emphasis on education because we find um that helps the organization better adopt vault and be more successful with that
2: dan
1: you got anything to add to that
2: yeah i think um you know as we're as we're getting close to the end here i i, I feel like the uh the ultimate theme here has really been um, you know, that, that user focus. I think where I see organizations fail um, often is when the security team, you know designs the solution according to what they think is right. or the ops team designs the solution according to what they think is right. At the end of the day, nobody's going to use your solution if, if they hate the way it's designed, right? And so uh, you need those users to participate in those in those decisions and that design. Um, so really educating them, making it very simple for them to use. Um, and, and, uh, just, just ensuring that you're, you're solving problems for them and keeping that, keeping that communication channel open for the life of the service, uh, to make sure you continue to adapt the service to whatever needs they're trying to meet. I, I, I think is the, the key message here and has been the key message throughout the discussion. So,
1: you know, for me, um, I feel like I see a pattern here. Dan keeps on opening up cans of worms. um, And and it just spurs on for a whole new topic and discussion. The whole, for me, just picked out that designing in isolation and the fact that silos still exist, you know, no matter how agile or how. Devopsy, we all seem to be organizations still seem to be doing things in isolation, but that's a whole new topic. <laughs> I feel like, you know, Dan's again, it's open up these kind of words and we need to talk about that at some point and r- around where we need to recognize, are we doing this in isolation or are we doing this with uh, the, 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 the consumption uh, consumers in mind or even talking to them? Um, if if you were both, I know Dan's kind of given an overall message here, but uh, you know, I start with Brian, I suppose, and back to Dan again. If there are three key takeaways for the listeners, uh, what would they be?
2: Yeah, I would say for me, um, education is definitely definitely number one. I mean, that generally is is what alleviates a lot of the fears and assumptions and things like that. Um, as far as um, You know, as far as as far as user hesitance um, goes, you know, according to change or even according to specifically the tool itself, um, I think, you know, making sure that we have key stakeholders across the organization. I know that's a little buzz phrasey, but really having that leadership involved in in uh, um, not just not not necessarily forcing their teams to do certain things, but figuring out how they can best help their teams and enable their teams to, to adopt that, whether that's you know providing extra time, extra headcount, things like that. Um, and then the final one for me, and, and this is I, I think just as critical, but having the right team in place to support the service, um, especially when it comes to Vault, having, having people with a good mix of development and system administration, Um, and working in partnership with a security team for the policy side, I I think is absolutely critical to, um, to the scalability and longevity of the service. So.
1: Nice. And Brian, what what would you be your three key takeaways for our listeners uh, to take away from this session?
3: Yeah. I mean, I would have to definitely echo, you know, some of the, the takeaways Dan mentioned, you know, education, you know, is big, um, you know, working with. You know, again, a, a partner or, you know, somebody who has experience or expertise with Vault, like ch- trying to go at it alone. Um, there are definitely a lot of, you know, partners out there that have a lot of expertise. Um, you know, there's tons of, of places to go out and get education as well. You know, Hashi has their um, Enterprise Academy. Right There's also um, the, the HashiCorp Corp Learn site, which is a great resource uh, for you as well um and then of course community-based uh training as well so yeah i mean definitely you know education you know understanding and having the right team you know involved um with you know owning and implementing and and not only that but you know selling vaults you know throughout the organization right to to increase adoption um and then like i said before like having security involved you know from the get-go i think are kind of the would be my kind of the top three
0: awesome i'll give my uh key takeaways from this and I'll actually point to um, some documentation that I I, I contributed quite a, a lot to uh, a while ago and this is the migration documentation from a self-hosted vault to HCP vault right now the advice I'm going to give uh, is all written in this documentation here and it's not actually specific to vault when I came up with this and actually it wasn't just myself that came up with this this is also another consultant I worked with in the past Um, but there's a section on this documentation which I'll leave in the show notes called migration planning and I think if you follow these steps whether you're migrating something from one place to the other or you're onboarding something I think you're setting yourself up for success if you take this type of approach right so it's a, a circular kind of approach where you conduct a discovery uh, process in the beginning, right? So I think Brian alluded to that, where you need to understand what the requirements are for each of the uh, uh, consumer groups. Um, And then you can do things like understand what the common themes are, so you can design for the majority use cases and decide which are edge cases and how you're going to tackle that, right? So you've got that discovery piece. And once you've captured all those things there, then you can get into platform, design right now platform design uh is is a key thing and i think brian gave a really interesting tip uh about actually training people before doing the platform design so that they can bring some of their ideas to the table but i also think as part of the platform design there needs to be some level of threat modeling uh that takes takes place uh at this point uh, and the reason for that is uh, we talk about security being involved as early as possible. Well, it, to understand what the security requirements are from the business, well, you kind of want to discover this early on and you want to implement this into your design. Um, and then you've kind of got the the usability side of things. So I've called it pipeline design, but essentially what we're talking about is how can you bring about um, uh, consumption of this platform or this tool? How do you bring about things like... Um, Soft service, if that's a goal of your organization, essentially, how does it get from a developer's laptop into your production uh, machine, right? Um, so you need to design that that part of the process. And then once you've got all your designs in place, obviously implementation uh, is key. But once you've implemented, you then need to go on onboard, right? And onboarding is the key thing. So I always say that when you're going through this cycle from the discovery phase, you'll always identify a group that seems a bit more enthusiastic than the others, right? And that is going to be your uh, your, your MVP, if you like, right? That's the, the people that you're gonna have to engage with the most, the people you're going to have to listen to the most, um, you know, they're going to test out your designs. You're going to get their feedback and you're going to tweak things according to what they say, because they are your best advocates. They're going to be your internal developer advocates. So you go through that onboarding phase with that team and then you go through another threat modeling process to make sure that the thing that you've designed and implemented is in fact exactly how you imagined it, that the threat model is still the same. If there's anything different, then you can go about, um, you know, adjusting things. And, you know, it's always going to be slight tweaks rather than major overhauls if you're if you're doing it throughout the process like this. And then you move on to the so-called final phase, which we call the target operating model, which is essentially just reviewing everything and making sure that it's still fit for purpose and listening to the points of friction. And uh, dealing with those things there, and in terms of dealing with those things, you're essentially starting the cycle again back at discovery and going through this. So it's a never-ending cycle of evolution, right? So I leave people with that. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes. It's probably opened up a can of worms there because we could discuss this for hours as well. Um, but I think if you follow some sort of blueprint like that, you are on a good path to to uh, succeeding. And a lot of the things we've talked about in today's episode fit into some of these categories so when we talk about the onboarding and the implementation education has been a big theme that happens not not only at that point there but often earlier on in the process So as you're going through the platform design you can already begin the education piece right when you're you're presenting your designs to the key consumers you can say this is why we designed it like this because you said a b and c so you know and this is how the system works this is how Uh, This comes into it. These are the components and so on. So the education piece can start from early and it doesn't have to be a big bang approach. It can be slow and incremental throughout the process. Uh, So I just leave people with those thoughts there. Um, I just want to say to Dan and Brian, thank you so, so much. I know you guys are holidaying right now, living it up in in Spain. Love that. Um, So I really appreciate you taking the time out to come and discuss these things with us. Um, And I'm going to throw it over to my co-host Adil for final words.
1: Yeah, definitely. I want to echo what Rob said. They're super appreciative of, of Dan and Brian, you know, taking out their time, giving their time uh, uh, to us to really talk about um, the stuff that they've already experienced and obviously written about uh, in their book. Um, I'm going to also try and leave, I suppose, three takeaways uh, for my side. I'm going to keep it short, though. And again, it's probably going to open up a can of worms. But my three t- key takeaways are, for the security team to start thinking about owning security consumption patterns instead of owning security tooling. The second point is to think about the non-interactive consumption patterns versus interactive consumption patterns. What do we mean by that? An example would be PKI. Use that with Vault Agent, it automatically starts up and it requests a PKI certificate by default. That's a non-interactive rather, a consumption pattern. And the last one is thinking about Vault consumption designs not in isolation, i.e. if there's a platform team who are creating an AWS RDS module, then the security team should should marry up with them and think about, okay, as part of that module, can I add the vault um, uh, mounting the DB secrets engine within that uh, telephone module is is what I would say is a, to think about consumption designs, uh, not in isolation. Those are the three things. As, now to just kind of wrap it up there, is that. Dan Brian, where can listeners reach out to you? You know, on social media, where, where 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 can they reach out to you?
2: LinkedIn is probably best method for me. So, yeah,
3: I'm I'm on LinkedIn a lot. I'm on Twitter um, a lot. I talk to um, talk to you know students of my own training. You know, through through both of those as well as through you know Udemy as well. So any of the platforms um, I'm usually available on.
0: Awesome. Well, we'll leave all those details in the show notes. And once again, thank you so, so much. Uh, This has been episode seven of Keeping It Secure. Hope you enjoyed it and we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Keeping It Secure with your host, DevOps Rob and DevOps Adil. Be sure to join us next time.